the daily lectionary comments for September the 1st. We're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, Elijah confronts and challenges Ahab. And we start a new book, Ephesians. All right, 1 Kings chapter 18. I, I have to apologize. I've been running a little long on these. There's been a lot of history and little details to get into. I'm going to try to rein it in and get a little bit more uh, control over the time here. And hopefully our lesson from 1 Kings will help. Because this is a pretty simple lesson, pretty self-explanatory. So what we have is many days have gone by. In fact, three and a half years have gone by. Uh, the, that is, the famine lasted a total of three and a half years. That number, by the way, becomes sort of iconic uh, for a period of, of the judgment of the Lord. The book of Revelation uses it in many different forms, three and a half or three and a half years or 42 months, 1260 days. They're all the same amount of time and they all indicate the judgment of the Lord. And it's all kind of built upon this three and a half year famine, which Elijah was sent to announce. And now he is being sent, uh, the Lord is sending Elijah back to Ahab uh, in order to announce that the famine is about to end. Now, so we also learn that Jezebel has been very busy. She not only imported all these prophets of Baal, to whom she is deeply devoted, and Asherah, uh, but also has had the, the prophets of the Lord. Remember, Lord is, 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 the, is God's personal name, the name of the God of Israel. Those prophets have been cut off. The most famous of these prophets, of course, is Elijah himself, who's been on the lamb. Not really. He's been uh, in the wilderness being fed and taken care of by the Lord. Uh, and then he was up in Zarephath. But he wasn't in Israel where Ahab could find him, although Ahab has been looking. It appears that Ahab figured that in order to find, uh, so was, was working with um, Obadiah. Obadiah was another prophet of the Lord. And... Uh, uh, I don't think Ahab knew that Obadiah had been hiding these prophets uh, that his wife Jezebel had had cut off from the land. But at any rate, uh, he was using uh, Obadiah for some purpose or another. And Obadiah um, uh, runs into Ahab while he's out searching for food and water and things like that at Ahab's command. He runs into Elijah. And he's immediately very devoted to Elijah because he fears the Lord. And I just, Elijah says to him, go tell Ahab, come here. I want to meet him. And Obadiah right away says, there's no way. Uh, what have I done? Uh, I'm going to go tell Ahab to come here. He's going to come here. You're not going to be here. I know you're not going to be here because we've been looking everywhere for you. Uh, and then when Ahab sees that he's, you're not here, he's going to kill me. And Elijah says, I will be here. I give you my word. And he was. Ahab did come. And there was uh, Elijah, this troubler of Israel, uh, Ahab calls him. But note what, uh, note what Elijah says. He throws it right back at him. He says, you're the troubler of Israel, having imported all this uh, Baal worship and all of this. You're the troubler of Israel. And then Elijah challenges him. You, go get 450 of these prophets of Baal. Go get 400 of these prophets of Asherah. And let them gather at Mount Carmel, which is a, a place uh, there by the Mediterranean Sea. I will meet you there. And uh, that's where our story finishes. We're sort of left, uh, uh, you, you know, uh, with a loose end here. We'll pick it up tomorrow and we'll see what happens next with the prophets of Baal. All right, for our 
Second half here, we're looking at a brand new book, the book of Ephesians. We're starting in chapter one. Um, let, me, let me say a, a few things about Ephesians. Well, first off, we skipped uh, chapters 10, 11, 12, and 13 in Second Corinthians. It's always sad when we do that because um, there's all kinds of stuff in there. You know, I, I would commend for you to go back and, and read it, particularly you might find chapter 12. Uh, especially interesting. But anyway, we're, we're skipping that as far as our devotion goes and we're into Ephesians. Now, a couple of things that I'll say about this letter. Paul's letter to the Ephesians is very, very dense. There's a lot in it. There's a lot in this first chapter. There's a lot in every other chapter. It's not just a devotion. Whole sermons and whole books could be written on single expressions that are used and have been written on these things. So it's very dense reading. Paul uses a kind of a dense style. He kind of stacks um, clause after clause after clause uh, uh, describing and expanding his thoughts. And sometimes the sentences, especially in Greek, can be very, very complex. So it sometimes is helpful when you're reading this to really take the the, a, a sentence apart or a paragraph apart, really parse it out carefully to see what, what, what is he saying here. Um, it's filled with all kinds of very well-known expressions and statements. The theology in here is terrific. Um, but some, some basic comments on the book as a whole. Number one, we've just finished First and Second Corinthians. Ephesians is very different from 1st and 2nd Corinthians in this. 1st and 2nd Corinthians was filled with all kinds of specific things that were going on in the Corinthian church. I mean, sometimes it was just spelled out. This is exactly what's going on, and this is exactly what Paul is dealing with. And other kinds, you can just kind of read between the lines what's going on here. There's almost none of that in Ephesians. Ephesians says next to nothing about the congregation in Ephesus or anything specific going on there, which is very, very different than what we've just finished with. Now, one of the reasons for this, it's been theorized, and it's not a bad theory at all, is that the letter to the Ephesians was not written to the congregation at Ephesus alone, but was meant as kind of a circular letter. So in other words, it would go to the, to the church at Ephesus, but then it was intended to be circulated to other uh, churches in and around Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus is a major city in, in Asia Minor. It's on the western coast of Turkey. And, uh, and there were many other congregations in that area. The, the uh, Revelation was written to seven congregations in Asia Minor. Ephesus, the congregation in Ephesus, was one of them. So this was not an unusual practice. And that would explain why um, there's, there's nothing really specific in here about Ephesus. Paul is writing a general letter to build up the church uh, rather than dealing with a whole bunch of, of specific issues uh, that were brought to his attention. Ephesus uh, is where Paul actually ministered through for two years during his third missionary journey. He was in Ephesus, actually, when he was receiving delegations and writing letters back to the Corinthian congregation, which he had ministered to in a second missionary journey. Um, he's probably writing this letter uh, while he is incarcerated, probably in Caesarea Philippi, or at some point after he, his third missionary journey went to Jerusalem, and then he got arrested, and then he was held by the Romans 
uh, for, for several years and finally transported to Rome. Sometime during that time, he would have written uh, Ephesians, we believe. Now, as far as the letter itself, um, this letter is filled with soaring rhetoric. It is very cosmic in its scope. It speaks of wonderful things, uh, huge things, like verse 4, he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. In verse 9, making known the mystery of his will, which he put forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Verse 18, that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Verse 20, uh, verse 20 uh, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. One of the major themes of, of this uh, letter is the church and the nature of the church. Chapter four is going to talk a lot about this. Chapter three is going to talk a lot about this. Paul has just talked about, uh, at the end of chapter 2, it talks about the church being founded on, uh, on the foundation of Christ, uh, the apostles and, and uh, prophets being built upon that. Here, it's talking about Jesus at the right hand of God over all things, filling all things, and the church especially, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything. Like I said, the letter to the Ephesians is filled with a lot of soaring, incredibly big topics. It's a wonderful uh, um, part of our scripture. Um, there's just no way to talk about most of this in, in very brief devotions. Today I've given just a little, um, a, a little, uh, um, you know, beginning to that. I'm going to try to pick out things that I think will be helpful as we go through this book. I'm going to have to ignore most of it. If you have special questions, though, and this I, I would say, if I'm passing over stuff that you really would like to know more about that, please feel free to, to send me a text, give me a call, or send me an email. I would love to uh, respond either in a future devotion or just to, directly. I would invite you to do that. Anyway, on now to tomorrow, we'll continue with the book of Ephesians.